This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. I'm going to read Mark 14. We're going to do verses 27 through 52. And I have honestly been looking forward to this for quite a while because this is the this passage we're going to get to see uh, the 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 streaker in the Bible, the young man that lost his clothes and ran off naked. So, if you did not know that was in the Bible, you do now. And turns out, just like everything, God doesn't do any of that by accident. And there's a a, a real Easter egg in here that I think that the Holy Spirit left behind for us. Have you found Mark fourteen twenty seven? This is Jesus. They have just sung a hymn, the Last Supper. They've walked out to the Mount of Olives. And he looks to his disciples and he says to them, you will all fall away. And if you have a King James or an ESV or pretty much any version besides the NIV, the nearly inspired version that I read from, uh, it says you will be offended, right, uh, because of me. You will stumble because of me. That's the, the language that is in the, the text, and it's in the original language. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yeah, not just today, tonight, right? You uh, are going to deny me before the rooster crows twice. And if you have been in any farm or developing nation, you know the rooster crows pretty doggone early. So this was not going to take very long for Peter to, to do this. You yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And then down into verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And for those of you going to Israel with me next week, we're going to be in Gethsemane in this very spot. There's many places we don't know. We think maybe Jesus is here, maybe not. This is one of the ones we know. This is where he was, this garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Remember what did Jesus tell them just a chapter ago? Watch, keep watch, watch that you be not deceived. Watch, so stay here and watch. Now going a little farther, verse 35, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. For those of you that say, man, is there any other way? Is there another way to Jesus? That's a big thing right now. The pantheon, their always lead to God. And Jesus asked that question too. Is there any other way? Do you think that if there had been a way that Jesus would have taken it, right? And God, clearly the answer, there's no other way. This is the way. So there's any way to take this cup, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then he returned, verse 37, to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, what I love about Mark, by the way, when he changes his name to Peter, whenever you see him blowing it, he calls him Simon, right? It's a reminder. You're not being Peter anymore. You are being Simon now. You're not being who you are. You have forgotten who you are. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch 
for one hour. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more he went away and, and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning to uh, the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The, t- uh, the hour has come. Now look, the son of man is delivered to the hands of sinners. Rise and let's go. Here comes my betrayers. In verse 43, Jesus, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And we know from the, Rome, uh, the John 18 telling that this is also Roman soldiers, Roman guards with, with weapons. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword. And we also know from John 18 that this was Peter again. Drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Peter clearly not as skilled with a sword. Uh, I'm sure he wasn't aiming for the ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. He fled naked, leaving his garment behind How fascinating is this whole thing, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that's a light, that is a lamp, and I pray that your word would be real to all of us this morning. And Lord, even as we sang, there ain't no grave that can hold our body down. That's, That's a promise for those that have gone on before us and for all of us at some point, that we will all, in Christ, rise from that. In Jesus' name, we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Question. Why did the disciples leave Jesus that night? It says in verse 51, all of them deserted Jesus. Was it they were afraid? I'm sure that was, there was something to that, right? They were scared. Uh, maybe they were, you know, trying to hide. They were going to, but Jesus actually tells us why they were going to leave. He says that you're going to leave me because you are going to be offended by me tonight. Because of me, you are going to be offended. Your version might say stumble away. Some might say fall. But the word offended is the word in the King James. And it's the same word used as uh, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Like that's the language that they're saying here. They are offended by Jesus that night. Something he did, something he said, the way that he acted offended them and they left him. All of them deserted him. And a question for all of us is, what are we going to do? What are you going to do when Jesus offends you? 
Now that said, that's the little map we're going to go with is this, that what was it that offended him? I want to show you what it was that he did and said that offended them and show you what it is that they did and said and how it kind of looks like how we sometimes behave when he offends us. But then I also want to show you what it was that Jesus did when they were offended by him. So that's sort of the outline that we're going to follow in today. The fact that they were offended was why. They had this idea and this expectation of who Jesus was supposed to be for them. He was coming to set up the kingdom, right? The Zechariah 14 Messiah was coming. That's who they were looking for, to overthrow the Roman government, right? Zechariah 14, the king, he's going to set up his entire kingdom here on earth. That's what they were waiting for. And so here's the moment. In fact, in John 18, he says that he said, I am he, and everybody just fell down, right? They were fell down as if they were dead. He had the power with a word to knock them all down. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He had been healing people. He was on fire. And in this moment, the Jesus that they wanted was the Zechariah 14 Jesus to come to set up his kingdom, to set it up now. They wanted that Jesus. But Jesus quotes from Zechariah, not 14, but Zechariah 13 that the, the sheep will be scattered, that he will strike right, the shepherd and that the sheep will be scattered. That's the, the, that's the Jesus that they got in front of them right now. And so they didn't understand that. But my point is, that was what offended them. The Jesus they wanted was not the Jesus that they had in the garden at that moment. What they wanted was the Zechariah 14 Jesus without the Zechariah 13 Jesus. The suffering servant that would save them from their sins, that was what was confusing to them. And so when he did this, I mean, think, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Like, Jesus had just knocked these guys down with his voice. Peter picks up a sword and goes for it. I mean, I can see how that could happen. This is it, you know? We're going in, charge! And what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter, scolds him, then heals the guy that he was going after. And I think it's the Matthew version, someone could tell me, but, and he calls Judas friend. Can you imagine how confusing this must have been? And that was what was offending to them. That that night, that the revolution was over in their minds. The revolution was on hold. And they all deserted him. I... Uh, it's been about 20 years ago. My wife and I were back in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a, a brief stint. Uh, Jim and Donna, it was right before we met you guys. And we found ourselves at a little church uh, called Father's House Church. La Casa de Padre. Uh, Iglesia, I'm sorry. Spanish, Simo, we did it. Um, it was pastored by a guy named Buddy Harrison. And Buddy, uh, some of you have maybe read books from Harrison House Publishing. Uh, Buddy started this publishing company in the uh, early 70s. Uh, you, you may not know Buddy, but you might, you might have read books by T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer or Joel Osteen. Or, he had published uh, books for days. The dude was worth a kajillion dollars. And he was a preacher and he had this little church. And he, by the way, a kind man, a saintly man, just very kind and, and merciful. And Buddy had throat cancer. And uh, which is kind of a, a cancer is cruel in general, you know, it's just cruel. But if you're a preacher, throat cancer is especially cruel. And during that year, it was a parade of uh, private jets of uh, people who had 
published books through him had come to, to, to pray for him and to, uh, that he would be healed. Um, and if I were to say their names, you would know them. And by this church wasn't very big. It was only like a couple hundred of us. Uh, we met in the top of the city of faith towers, Mike, how about that? Like the, the 60th floor of the city flex towers. And, and, and Buddy died. He didn't, he didn't make it. And I was, what would I have been, 27, give or take? I mean, I'm only 40 right now, 39, so I feel like. <laughs> Here was what I came up against in that moment in my life. Uh, after he died, by the way, what was happening, people were whispering, well, he probably had secret sin in his life, and then God couldn't have. Right? Didn't that, that's what I thought. I'm only 27 going, they said that out loud? But the point was that they, there was a problem because what they said was going to happen did not happen. And when it didn't happen, there had to be a reason for it, right? So for me, what that meant inside my heart, and I never really verbalized it out loud. I process inside a lot. Um, I don't think I ever shared it with you even. I was too scared to say it out loud, I guess. There was either no God or what I believed about him was wrong. Were the only two choices I had. Now in this modern day, uh, it's called deconstruction. Are you familiar with this phrase? If not, you need to be familiar with it. It's happening with young people right now. They call it deconstructing their faith. And what they really mean is I'm demolishing my faith. I'm thankful that I got to go on that journey of seeking truth without a social media platform so that everybody could watch me seek truth and take other people down with me as I went. But the deconstruction question for me was, I, started, I just kind of started over. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to act like I've never read this before, and I'm just going to start reading. And what would I believe if, if no one had ever told me this? What would I think this really said? What would I think this meant if I thought this and that? And it was a long few years for me of reading and searching. Uh, and boy, I'm so glad to tell you that as I got through it, that I learned that there is a God. What I believed about him was wrong. I believe that he still does heal. I believe that he still does miracles. I, I totally believe all of those things. I just don't believe anymore that he's a genie in a bottle that I can just, you know, rub God's belly and then money comes out. Like that's, I just don't believe that part anymore, mostly because it's not in here. What happened to me in that moment was what happened to the disciples. The Jesus that I thought I was serving wasn't the real Jesus. It was some version of him. And so their faith crisis unfolded. They were offended by Jesus when he didn't do what they thought that he would do. And when you hear this language, parents, uh, you might hear this. Some of you might be having this language in this conversation yourself right now, which is, well, what I was told was this. In fact, when you read a lot of the blogs and the tweets and the people that are in that, they'll say something along those lines. Well, I was told this. I used to think this, I believed this, I was told, I was taught. Uh, and so they, they would reject that corner of their faith, but not replace it with another part of faith of what the Bible really says. And so deconstruction without a reconstruction is just demolition, and that doesn't do anybody any good. What I did when I look back on it now, it wasn't so much a deconstruction as much as it was a chiropractic alignment. Any chiropractors in here? Okay, good, because I'm going to make fun of you. Uh, they, when you go to the chiropractor and they pop your back, and I know they call it adjusting, but it sounds like popping to me. Uh, what happens is it hurts and it's startling. When they do the, the thing with the neck, you know what I'm talking about? Pop. Tony, I've seen you at the chiropractor. Uh, it hurts. It's very alarming. Unsettling even. And then you're like, 
oh, so much better. I was just out of alignment with my back. Deconstruction, if you replace it with just being aligned with the scriptures, is a way that you can rebuild your faith in a way that isn't about rebuilding it as much as it is just basing it on the rock of who Jesus is. It's important. They were offended by Jesus when Jesus didn't do what he, they thought he was going to do, what he did, they didn't, what he didn't say. I, he said I was going to do this, and he didn't. When you look back on it, what does Jesus even say later, later on here? I was teaching you guys every day in the temple. You know exactly what I was going to do. How is it possible that you thought that this is how I was going to do this? Every one of us in our lives are going to get the chance to run up against that. If you haven't already, you're going to, and some of you are in the middle of it right now. When Jesus offends you, when it's not the Jesus that you thought you had, by the way, the Jesus that I found, the real Jesus, was way better than the one that I had constructed in my mind. So what do you do when Jesus offends you? I mean, what did they do when Jesus offended them? Peter drew his sword. Jesus told him to pick up a cross, and what did he do? He picked up a sword. He did, I'm going to go fix this myself. I'm going to go do the thing that I thought that Jesus should be doing, and I'm going to do it for him. And Jesus told him, wake up, be awake, be alert, awake to what's around you, awake. In our modern parlance, we have a word called uh, woke. Do you know about the woke? You know about woke? And inside of the concept of woke is that there are injustices in the world around us. And grandmas and grandpas, just text your grandkids, they'll tell you what it is. I, I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's actually good that you don't know what it is because this is a part of society that's kind of confusing for everybody right now. But the idea of woke versus awake. In the, in the woke culture, it's about, I'm going to change this system from the outside in. It's activism. I'm going to burn this place down. I'm going to push this out of the way. We're going to force, we're going to ramrod our will into you. There was a... Uh, uh, a, a, a guy that wrote this on, on, on Twitter. Uh, does anybody know who the liturgists are, if I say the liturgists? Liturgists, a guy named Michael Gunger, and uh, science, science use that word very loosely, Mike. By the way, Michael Gunger, when we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a pastor brought a CD to, my, uh, to our office of his 13-year-old son playing guitar. I was like, I can't do anything with a 13-year-old guitar player. I'm a rock and roll manager. He's just a... It was uh, Michael Gunger. He's, uh, all roads lead to Tulsa. Uh, but The Liturgist is a podcast where they talk about deconstructing. Uh, and basically, it's an entire podcast devoted to picking your faith apart, to destroying your faith and rebuilding it. So this guy said, uh, The Liturgist helped me to deconstruct but gave me nothing to rebuild except arrogance and a new progressive fundamentalism that had nothing to do with the real Jesus. He said, ironically, it was a deeper exploration of orthodox theology that actually helped me reconstruct a richer faith than before. This gives me great hope, by the way, because the bills are coming due on some of this, the Bible isn't God's word and we can be however we want to be. The bills are coming due and there's no money in the account. They're finding it to be not a hopeful belief system, but a hopeless system and he goes on to say they're doing nothing but propagating a progressive version of moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a modern day secular Pharisee. 
It's a different, I'm going to keep the rules, but from a different side. Woke is the new moralism. Therapy is the actual therapeutic. And this God of theirs has nothing to do with real life. And then he goes on to say, I'm not anti-woke or anti-therapy. Systemic injustice is very real. That is very true. You know me. You know that I believe that. Uh, and we need the conversation that it has brought us. I love therapy. I've done therapy. And thank God for my wife that I have as well. But these, listen, are not adequate replacements for the eternal love of the triune God. The point is that that system that's happening out there of, of, of wokeness is without the gospel. Okay? Woke without awake is just moralistic. And it's literally just another form of religion forcing you to keep their rules in the same way that on the right side we have that religious, uh, fundamentalist, hardcore religion trying to keep the rules from the other side and neither one of them can hold up to the gospel. Jesus here, Peter picks up his sword. Peter is woke. He's gonna make this happen on his own now. And Jesus was saying to Peter, to all of his disciples, you're all going to abandon me tonight, right? But when you come back, you're going to be awake to the gospel now. And this thing that you've been trying to do, which is keep the rules, the thing that the Herodians have been trying to do, which is to force their rules, the thing that the Pharisees have been trying to do to force their rules, none of that is the gospel. Because this is the same thing as the Pharisees. It's you being saved by works with a salvation, it's a secular salvation instead of a spiritual one. Now the question for us in the time that I have left here, which is not much, is what did Jesus do when they left him? This is hopeful, because if you're in a search right now, and I don't know, in a room like this, this isn't just about teenagers. I'm talk, I've talked to 40-some-year-old, 50-some, asking these same questions. What, when you're on this journey of seeking truth and seeking answers. When you're offended by Jesus because the Jesus you wanted isn't the one that is the real Jesus or what you thought about him was wrong, what do you do about that? But what does Jesus do about it? He said that I am going to, this is verse 27, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Okay, you, tonight you're gonna leave me. Tonight I'm gonna be all alone. You're all gonna desert me, but I'm gonna meet you in Galilee. Do you understand what he's saying? I will meet you in your doubt. Why would they go to Galilee? Because the revolution was over. They're going home. It's done. Peter, we're going to be there on the, Peter's primacy where Peter was fishing that day. Peter went back to his old job. And Jesus met him in his doubts. And something happened there that was really interesting because the Peter that picked up his sword would then pick up his cross. The disciples that deserted him could not anymore desert him, would not desert him. And you know why that is? Because they met the resurrected Jesus. Have you met the resurrected Jesus? Have you met the Jesus that paid for your sins? Zechariah 13, that passage that Jesus quoted, the suffering servant I'll strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And they're going to ask him, where did you get those wounds? He will say, I've got them in the house of my friends. Speaking of his crucifixion, that was the Jesus that they had met. But it isn't a different Jesus from Zechariah 13 and Zechariah 14. It's the same Jesus. But I cannot get the Zechariah 14 Jesus until I receive the work that Jesus did in Zechariah 
13. And he met them in their doubts. He has room for your doubts. My encouragement to you, especially if you're young, do not shipwreck your faith on questions. The blogs that you're reading, the podcasts that you're listening to, they're saying things like, well, I feel like this can't be true, and I'm wondering about this. Those are all real life questions. I've asked them. But thank God I didn't ask him with a million people following me. The tweet I just shared, I, there's a list that goes on and on and on and on and on of people that, that was me five years ago, that was me 10 years ago. And now I've gotten, not back to fundamentalism, but I've gone back to orthodoxy. I've just gone back to Jesus, crucified, resurrected on the third day for the atonement of our sins. Back in that, and I believe that's gonna happen. I believe there's a, an, a, an awakening coming to those when those bills have come due on that. And the last thing I wanna share with you is this. Because in this, do you guys know what an Easter egg is? Not the one on Easter. Teenagers with video games. You know what an Easter egg is? Cody, you can raise your hand. I know you're an adult. Uh, by the way, that phrase originally came from Atari, so we old people should know what that is. The original guy that made Atari, that coded one of the games called Adventure, they weren't giving them credit on their name, so he hid his name inside of the video game that if you got to a certain part, put your uh, controller over a certain part, his name would pop up and said, created by Stephen Wright, right? Video, you guys are nodding, right? You know what I'm talking about. I think that in this passage that Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, John Mark left us an Easter egg that is something that we could find later and I believe that there's a story of a redemption here that is beautiful for us to find and the story of the gospel. Go back with me to Mark 14, 52, because this is what does Jesus do if you have doubted him. So in verse 52, it says that he fled naked. Actually, 51, a young man, now notice these words, wearing, a white, wearing nothing but white linen was following Jesus. That word young man and white linen, okay? That word young man, is a word that is only used like a couple of times in the New Testament. It's a very rare use of that word. And the word white linen garment, also very rare. In fact, the only other times you see it used in scripture are actually in reference to the white garment that was wrapped up Jesus in his burial clothes. It was a linen specifically meant for a burial garment. Now, I want you to know there are those who say that this young man could have been Lazarus himself wrapped in the white because he'd just been raised from the dead. He would have had that white garment. Now, in my opinion, he probably would have needed to have washed it first, but I don't know. I mean, dead for four days. I don't know how that works. But what I do know is that that word young man, okay, and white garment, you follow me on this? Those two words are very specific right here. And there's only one other place in the entire Bible where you see those two words side by side with me. They're both in the same book, just two chapters over, used, written by John Mark himself in the tomb. Go with me to Mark 16. We're going to go to the tomb in Israel as well. And look at this. So what, the last time we see a white, uh, a white linen and a young man, he's running off naked. He left his white garment behind. Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James and Salome brought spices. Verse one, they get to the tomb. Now in Matthew 28, that talks about an angel of the Lord. He's outside. He's dropping thunder, moving stones, sitting on top of a stone. But in this passage, they walk into the tomb and they see, verse 5, a young man dressed in a white robe, the exact same two words. Very rare use of both words and they're both used here. 
I think these two, independent from each other, are very mysterious and very strange. But when you connect these together, knowing that John Mark himself is the author of this telling Peter's story, I believe that was, I'm going to tell you right now, I can't prove this. This is a thus saith the Darren, okay? It's not going to change the point of what the gospel can do for somebody's life. But if you're John Mark and you leave a little Easter egg in there of your story of redemption... Here's a young man that fled away naked. He left his white robes behind. And where do we find him? Not outside the tomb, but inside the tomb where the resurrected Jesus had left. He had left in shame. I love that he left that white garment behind because what are we to do with our works? Your, your works, your white is just filthy rags to me. And if you're trying to keep up with the religious with the politics, with the, you're never going to be good enough. And at some point, they're going to take your garment too and leave you nothing with nakedness and ashamed. But when he met the resurrected Jesus, a white linen, now he's sitting there wrapped in a white garment, a white robe in the tomb where Jesus had been. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. I think that Mark left behind an Easter egg, quite literally, <laughs> an Easter egg on the first Easter morning of the power of Jesus' ability to restore us. Later in Mark's life, when he's with Peter, he will abandon Mark, he will abandon Paul and Barnabas. In fact, so much that Paul and Barnabas have a giant falling out over it. In fact, they don't, you don't, as far as we know, they never got back together again. They never worked together again. John Mark left him, abandoned him, fled away. And yet at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what does Paul say? Send for John Mark. He's been good for my ministry. God is a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration. We call this the Restored series because this entire book is a book about restoring you, restoring me, and this journey of restoration. Do you think that maybe, I don't know, but maybe Mark was just telling us something here about the gospel, that a young man, I mean, just this random verse that just pops in the middle of nowhere about a young man, he loses his white garment and he runs away naked. I mean, it's fun. But if the Spirit really does inspire Scripture, and I believe that he does, that this was not there by accident. And it's no accident that there was a young man in a white robe sitting in an empty tomb because that is where we all, when we meet the resurrected Jesus, we don't leave naked and ashamed. We don't leave with our own white garment. We leave with his righteousness on us. When we stand before him, we are restored. Every one of us at some point in our life are going to be offended by Jesus. And you have a chance to run away from him. You have a chance to search and to seek and to ask. He's not afraid of any of your questions. He's going to meet you in your doubts. He'll meet you in Galilee. But I encourage you, if you're going to reject Jesus, don't reject the one that you were told about. Don't reject the one that you thought. Figure out who he is and then let the chips fall where they may. Because I believe once you meet the resurrected Christ, the one from Zechariah 13, there's no running away from that. 
How could you? Why would you run away from the, the God that would become like you and die for your sins and take that punishment from you in Zechariah 13? And because he did that in Zechariah 13, one day he will return and will set up a shop where there will be a real king and a real kingdom, a real Jesus that is coming. And all we have to do is receive the work of Zechariah 13 and we get the blessing of Zechariah 14. Isn't that great? Stand to your feet. I, I, you've been very patient with me this morning. It's totally fine, by the way, if you don't agree with me, whether that's John Mark or not. I don't know if it is. You think if the, if the Holy Spirit wanted us to know who it was, he would have told us. Here's what I do know. That young man left his white clothes behind, his works, his stuff, and you could put on as much white as you want to today to be as politically accurate or whatever, and it's still not going to be enough to stand in front of the Father unless you're standing in front of the Father with his white, with his righteousness, and he gives it freely to all of us. That's great news right there. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news, the fantastic news of your kingdom. Lord, all of us at some point, some of us might be in it, some might be on the other side of it, and for some of us, it might be coming for us. Lord, some of us, are, as parents, our children are in there right now. They're on the seeking, trying to find the truth and find the answers. Lord, as parents, we give that to you. Lord, I take a great, I take so much comfort knowing that you met your disciples in Galilee. You met them in their doubts. You'll meet us in ours. You'll meet our children in theirs. That you have this all under control. You're not afraid of our questions. <laughs> And Lord, most, most of all, the thing that changed those disciples from the inside out, they encountered the resurrected Christ. They encountered a miracle, working, life-changing, spirit-filled Jesus. And I pray that all of us, if we haven't already, will meet you, the real Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.